You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. I was reading the Washington Post sports section online. You know how you can get an online subscription if you don't get the the print paper delivered to your house. So my family has an online subscription. And so I was reading online and I stumbled into this column in the Washington Post, which is a Washington, D.C. newspaper, obviously spread nationally as well. But I stumbled into a column that was all about the success of sports in Philadelphia this year. And I said, that's, yes, there, yeah. that's the kind of news I, I like. I said, that's when you know that it's really a big deal when the success of one city spreads to the top newspaper in a whole nother city, not only a nearby city, but also it's a, a city that tends to go up against these two teams, you know, Washington, D.C., frequently. So it just goes to show that that success in Villanova with that success again mm-hmm. with the national championship. Overall, I mean, do you feel like these, like the local fans, if you're a Philadelphia fan, is it understood that you're also a Villanova fan, or is that not exactly connected? Well, I guess it goes by, like, region. Uh, I don't want to say if Drexel or Temple, but have wanted to be the same thing. It goes to the city of Philadelphia, so you just really like to see that region do well, um, especially, like, you got guys like, you know, Devin Chenzo, who I'm sure we'll talk about, also a local Delaware kid from Wilmington, but yeah, I guess you, I would say the same thing. If it was Temple, you know, you just you feel good for a city doing big things, and um, not even NCAA or college, but even I guess it's, even if you're going way kind of deep into it, um, the Philadelphia soul for arena football it, that may not add any value really to the city. But you always want to see anything um, Philadelphia related, or even uh, even the Union in in uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania. So it's always good to see that and anything in the area. And with Delaware, you're kind of like free agents. You don't have uh, you don't have a sports base. You don't have a fan base. Uh, the closest is is Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So that's what you like to root for. That's kind of what uh, it's all about for us. If you're not familiar with who we are and our rooting interests, Amid is from the Delaware area. He's a Philadelphia fan. Brandon also from Delaware. He's also a Philadelphia fan. Hence why he's at the Phillies game tonight. Jake's from Jake's from New York. He's also a Patriots fan. Never really understand that. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. I'm just saying. Why'd you say? Ahmed's a Philadelphia fan when he's a Lakers fan, a Yankees no, I'm not a Lakers, fan. I, I like Kobe Bryant. Gotta, I'm not a Lakers well, fan. I, I think it. If you're dragging me, you gotta drag him. I, too. I think I think Ahmed is very much a fair weather fan because now you can <laughs> okay. now now he's really coming out of it saying, oh look at all of the Philly teams. But when they weren't good last year, hey, he was a Yankees fan and a Lakers fan. Now Flyers, that now that they're good, he's back to okay. rooting for them. Flyers have a wild card spot as of right now. Yeah, they haven't clinched yet, but they but, clinched but they're yet, close. They're, they're close. Yeah, well, the the Jake the Mets destroyed the Nats earlier today. I saw it was eight, yeah, eight, I was eight to two. Very proud of that uh, grand slam by Jay Bruce. Good showing, and uh, we got two more. But we have a, this is the second consecutive week that the Mets have Friday off. I don't it's know the second consecutive week that most teams yeah, have Friday I, off. Why why are we doing off Fridays? Because I think that that you want to allow the teams to to work their way in slowly. I really think it actually is because of 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 snow and weather. Because I was reading something last week, and they were saying. Well, because the Nats-Reds game was canceled, was postponed last Thursday, and they started on Friday, and I was reading something that said, well, the reason they had an off day on Friday is because of the potential of weather. But there's a potential Wait, of weather okay, in Eric July. Eric is not going to be here. We could just ask Eric this in the but, 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 <laughs> the, me, the, meter, the, the but, weatherman's coming but, soon. But, but, but think about this now. <laughs> You've got the potential for a thunderstorm in July and August. So I don't exa- it's a good point. I don't know why we had days off again on Friday. But we'll, we'll talk about baseball a little bit uh, later on in the top stories through the first week. Uh, let's talk Villanova right now. Yeah. 79-62, to 62, the winner, Monday night over Michigan, number three Michigan. 
33 and 8 on the season, number one Villanova, 36 and 4. And we can be honest here, Villanova throughout the entirety of the tournament really looked like the best team. And in the final game, they started to pull away, and it eventually wasn't even that close. They, they showed themselves as the best team in the nation. Not saying that Michigan didn't deserve to be there, but when you look at that skill discrepancy of both teams, it didn't feel like a national title game. I mean, Michigan deserved to be there. They and that whole thing about they had an easy ro- like road to the sweet uh, road to the championship. Don't really agree with that too much. But there was a big discrepancy in skill from almost the entire board from Villanova and Michigan. So I mean, I watched the first half and then a few minutes of the second turned it off because I was like, Michigan's not coming back. I know how this game's going to end. So it, it it was a good national title game, but not the best in my opinion. Michigan. Obviously, I I definitely think they deserve to be there. I mean, they're obviously a number three seed, but the best defensive team in the country this year. I definitely believe they should belong to be there. Yeah, they they didn't have the hardest schedule, but I think they you you play the teams that are in front of you, and they played teams with you know who had a lot riding on it too, like Cinderella teams like Loyola, Chicago. So I think they took care of business when they needed to. But if you talk about just the dominance of Villanova, uh, first time since 2009 when UNC did it, but they won every single game by double digits, and that's really the definition of, of dominance, and I think they've done that. So Villanova, one of the better uh, victories, again, two times in three years now for Jay Wright and company to do that, and I, I think just well-deserved and a dynasty in the making, hopefully. And an example of a team that tends to collect players and keep them for years. This is not a one-and-done team. This is not the Kansases and the Dukes of the world, which, by the way, was an excellent game in the semifinal or in the uh, that 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 previous game. Oh, I, I wanted that Grayson Allen shot to fall so bad. That's the Elite Eight. That was the Elite Eight. No, that, that was no. It was that well, was the. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it was the, eight, because yeah. then Villanova beat Kansas, Kansas in, the final in that four. in that final four. But overall, I mean, the, the the magic and the spirit of Loyola Chicago, all of the attention they got. Sister Jean, I almost got some socks with her face on it. it. It That really took over the tournament. But Villanova's run, I think a lot of people didn't embrace what this team really was until they got to that national stage at the end. I hate to harp on this, and this can very well fit into a cage rage here. And I don't I don't want to act like Sister Jean was not the highlight of the tournament. Oh, I agree it with was. you. I know what you're going to, yeah. But you had an, an ESPN post on their Instagram, and it says, who's ready for the final four? You got Jordan Poole's face for Michigan, Jalen Brunson for mm-hmm. Villanova. They're the center for Loyola. Uh, no, um, Mo Wagner. That's who it was. Yeah. Thank you. Was on there for, and, Mich- for Michigan. And then for Loyola Chicago, they have Sister Jean. She put became a an player icon. on there. They put a, make a player have that face there. Uh, the player that I was, was Malik Newman from Kent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Put a player up on there. Loyola deserves to have a player there. Sister Jean's great, but she shouldn't be on the ESPN as when it goes Michigan player, Kansas player, Villanova player, Sister Jean. Well, it just didn't fit. I get it, but yeah. put a player on there. It's, it's, everybody wants to latch on to something when a magical team like this makes, when you make a run, and Sister Jean became that one. But I agree with you. The attention that Sister Jean got in the round of 32 into the Sweet 16. It felt appropriate at that time, but as they continued to make a run, make a run, make a run... It's the team doing the work. It's the team doing the work, and her interviews were funny. She had a good personality. She said it's the best time of her life. It was interesting. It was a great subplot in this tournament, but once that team got beat by Michigan, which, by the way, was a very close game, then you get Villanova, and I agree with you, Jake. I mean, that, that Final Four game... 
it, it just wasn't that fun to watch. It, it just it was clear who the better team was, and I think this is a concept that we see oftentimes as we go through the tournament. The best games and the most interesting games are not at the end of the tournament. They're at the beginning. I think it's also in part because you have these teams like Arizona, these massive teams, massive programs, up against Buffalo, who you never would think of. And that's why it's so exciting, because a team that no one would think to do anything spectacular, like Buffalo, comes in and beats these good teams, and it becomes a competition. But when you get farther and farther, Villanova did their research on Kansas. I guarantee you, they read a lot up on what Kansas was going to do, and for the finals, Villanova did their research on Michigan. But I would guarantee if it would happened to be Loyola-Chicago in that national championship game, I think it would have been more exciting, and I think it would have been closer. Because they just know nothing about Loyola-Chicago for the you most part. You think Loyola would have been closer against Villanova than Michigan was? I would think so. J- just for the sake that Loyola, A, had a lot more behind them, and B, Villanova didn't really know much about them. Like, that, that's not a team that when you're sitting getting ready for the tournament, you're like, all right, let's, let's read up on Loyola-Chicago just so when we reach them in the Final Four, like, we'll know how to prepare for them. Because that's why I think, like you mentioned, the, the most exciting games are in the beginning. Because you have teams that have never even, they're on two different, like, opposite sides of the world with Buffalo and Arizona. Like, you don't expect them to play against each other. That's why it's so exciting. And with all that being said, the best team in this tournament won. Hands down, Villanova was the best team. And I think that's the end result everybody uh, could only wish for and ask for is the number one team winning. On the other side in the women's tournament, these Final Four games were awesome. All of them were really good. If you miss the women's Final Four, you really miss some great basketball because these games were exceptional. You look at what happened in the Final Four of the women's tournament, all number one seeds. And I talked to some people around the time of the Final Four, and they said, this is so boring. It's always the favorites. It's always the favorites. But the counter-argument is, these are the best teams, and they always get there. And it led to some really impressive Final Four games. So you had number one UConn and number one Notre Dame, and then you had number one Mississippi State and number one Louisville. First of all, Mississippi State got the win over Louisville. But how about Notre Dame with all these injuries? They, I believe they had multiple players out with ACL injuries, and they took UConn to overtime. They should have beat them in regulation, but they took them to overtime. Arike Ogumbawale with the buzzer beater, and UConn knocked out in the semifinals for the second straight year. Yeah, and that argument that all the one seeds are there, they're the best teams and they should be there, but for a team like Notre Dame to knock out UConn for the second consecutive year UConn fails to reach the finals, the, the finals and being touted as the by far best team in sports, beating their first round opponents by 80, setting records <laughs> left and right, like... To beat them off a game-winning shot, and it was a good game-winning shot at that. It wasn't like something that you, you draw a play up and you, you hit the shot, congratulations. That was a botched play, and they made it work. So good for Notre Dame, and then it turns turns out that the shot lands for the finals and another uh, buzzer beater. Semi-controversial, but it landed. But I saw something on ESPN, and it was like, was that shot the best college, uh, the best March Madness shot we've ever seen? That that one was next to Leitner. Like, that was... You mean the semifinal shot the or final the final shot? shot? The final shot. Collectively, that was, like, the best, I think, Final Four performance we've ever seen, right? I, I, I think it's the best Final Four we've ever seen, but they were saying that was the best shot yeah, that's tough in form. NCAA March Madness history. I think Leitner's got to be up there. Like well, the, also, because didn't wasn't Christian Leitner's shot, they were losing at the time, so if he missed that, they would have lost. In this game, the game was tied. tied. So yeah. if she missed it, and it would have at least gone to overtime. both games, it was tied. 
which doesn't right. which doesn't minimize the impressiveness of the shot, but it does mean that at least if she missed it, they could have gone on. I think that's why people were saying Christian Leitner, right. he if he missed that, they would have lost the game. Yeah. But for her to uh, Ogumba Wale to do that in two consecutive games, it's one thing to just do it in one game, but to have a buzzer-beating shot in the semifinals and the championship. That never happens. That was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. I'm leaving college right that second, and I'm applying for the NBA draft. And I think it comes back to, again, the impressiveness of this, this Notre Dame team. And Mississippi State, now, two straight years, they get to the championship, and they lose. They're knocked out. But from UConn's perspective here, we, we had our whole conversation about dynasties a couple of months ago. We're, tra- we're debating if James Madison is a dynasty. Now Villanova. And that one, I think that's that's more, a little more believable. Believable. Yeah. Because amid, if it's somebody who, I'm not sure if you follow Villanova top to bottom, but is off the surface, I mean, they're going to be good again next year. They're yeah. Very good. They're they, going to be very they good. They do have obviously some seniors, as does most teams, but they should be back into the NCAA tournament. I don't know if they'll be the favorites to win, but uh, I would not be surprised if they're back in the same position next year. But then you look at UConn, and that's a team who's there every year. They they hadn't lost a game. So think about this. You go throughout last season. You go throughout this season. You don't lose anything. And you finally hit some adversity in the Final Four. And Notre Dame, that that was just almost an utter collapse in the semifinals when they almost blew it. They were up by five points with less than a minute to go, and they passed it from the, the they passed it in. And it was taken away, yeah, stolen by turnover. just a really bad turnover. And they were able to come back in overtime. It went, and Notre Dame won it then, and then for them to really repeat that. So not to compare men's and women's, you never want to do that with these tournaments, but it's hard to say that the women's tournament wasn't more entertaining down the stretch than the men's was. Down the stretch, I'll agree with it. Oh, as, not the earlier round. Uh, well, to be totally fair, I did not follow the earlier rounds of the women's tournament. Um, but... And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people, too. Yeah, which, knowing that this the finals would have ended up like this, I wish I would have caught it on another game or two. But down the stretch, I think that Kansas-Villandover game was exciting. But I don't think it comes close to two buzzer beaters to beat UConn, the unanimous best team in women's basketball, and then win for the national championship. I don't think anything touches that. So I'll ask this, then. We know Villanova, best team in men's, and they won it. Did the best team in college, women's college basketball, win? No, I mean still you, UConn. UConn is too good. Still UConn. Okay. Like they can. I don't. Just wondering. You look at the stats. You look at the history. You look at what they've done the past. Yeah, few I'm years. still not ready to dethrone UConn yet. I still think they're good. I just think they've had probably not the greatest two seasons as far as uh, postseason is concerned. Well, it's it's always a subject. It's always a subjective evaluation because if they were to play them again, would they win? Chances are above fifty percent. Well, now nah, here's also the thing. Them, yeah. I don't. Uh, you'd, you'd be they'd be the favorite because who they are. But did the best team win? Hey, in that game, in the two games, Notre Dame was the best team. They fought. They scrapped. Fair. They yeah. won. Are and they, Notre Dame has a history of beating UConn as well. So I think there's a little bit there too, as far as um, just being out coached. It's multiple championship games that Notre Dame had been to and lost. And just compare this to the men's on the on the men's side. 
I was barking that Notre Dame men got robbed and they should have made the tournament. Remember back in December when Notre Dame, number nine team in the country, comes here to play Delaware, and we were all losing ourselves saying, oh boy, this is going to be real tough. And Delaware went up 19-18 to 18 or something with 12 minutes to go in the first half. I tweeted, the Bob Carpenter Center is as loud as it's ever been. Notre Dame ends up winning the game. Fonzie Colson gets hurt. The men's team falls apart. They don't make the tournament, but their women win it all. How about that for them? They redeemed themselves. Notre Dame knows how to redeem themselves, and they had a good win there. I guess looking in hindsight, there's no reason we shouldn't have won that game, right? Well, yeah. You got Buffalo beating Arizona. So what's the big deal? We didn't lose to we didn't lose to an NCAA tournament team. It's just the game. It's not a game. To a team. Yeah, just a game. When this tournament's said and done, what do you remember more, Loyola going to the Final Four or UMBC over Virginia? Um, there's just more. There's more aspects to the Loyola Chicago with Sister Jean. Um, I I, I want to say Loyola Chicago. I'm gonna go with a little bit. UMBC was great, but just uh, 51-49. I'll go with that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with UMBC. Um, but I agree with the whole thing. There's an uh, there's more to grab onto yeah. for Loyola. There's more that you can talk about. But the thing about UMBC is it's a 16 that. Beat a one. That's never before seen. That's never before happened. And they beat him handily. I think we're going to be talking about Loyola for the next year or two about the run they had, but four or five years from now when we look back on the tournament. Back in action here on the cage. You know what? This is a time of the year when, for a while, we feel like there's not really a lot going on. You got March Madness. Before March Madness, between the Super Bowl and March Madness, not a lot to talk about. Right after March Madness, for about a week, there's not a lot to get to. But now we're starting to get going. The NHL playoffs are slowly approaching. They will begin next Wednesday. And to talk about the NHL, Eric Allen joins us to talk about the league. Eric, thanks for being with us this afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me, Teddy. So we're taking a look around the NHL right now. A lot of the, the trips to the postseason are punched already. We look in the Eastern Conference, first of all. In the Atlantic, the Bruins, the Lightning, and the Maple Leafs already tickets punched. In the Metro, the Capitals, the Penguins, tickets punched. And in the West, Nashville, Winnipeg, and Minnesota making it. And Vegas, San Jose, Anaheim, L.A. Out of all of these teams that have already made their punched their tickets... Which one of these teams surprised you most this season? I think you have to go with probably uh, either the New Jersey Devils or the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I did not expect them. To note though, that the Flyers aren't, they're not officially in they're, yet. They're not officially in, but they're both wildcard teams. And the Flyers, I think, might actually not make it, uh, which would be pretty funny. Uh, but <laughs> uh, those two teams got early picks. They got the first and second overall draft pick, and they've helped that team uh, boost themselves up. Uh, Flyers going in without really a goalie. They've got all theirs hurt, but I don't even think if they got them back, if they'd be any better off. Cause hey, let's let's uh, while you may not be a Flyers fan, let's not trash the Flyers. I don't. I want to make sure we at least appease our Flyers fans out there a little bit. They had a, a, a productive season. Yeah. Give them that. They had they, a productive they did lose season. They ten in a row and are in the wild card spot. So I'll give them that. Um, but New Jersey, if they make it, I think Taylor Hall likely will be an MVP candidate. Um, I, I think Colorado had a huge turnaround if they do secure that last spot. I think those are three teams that uh, nobody really expected to be there, especially early in the season, trading um, Matt Duchesne to 
the Ottawa Senators um, might have been through Nashville because Nashville ended up with Kyle Turris, uh, which really strengthened that team. In the East, you got the Bruins, who really productive season, 49 wins. What do you think about that team? You know, I think they've been banged up lately. I think that they uh, are definitely surprising a little bit. But they're, they're a mix between the old and the young, so they do have some experience and leadership. Um, but I think that it's going to get a little hard for those uh, younger guys uh, in their first full first or second season to really go deep, um, in their first full season to go deep into the playoffs. I think that they'll probably they'll probably get to the they'll definitely get to the second round and then it's going to be Tampa Bay or Boston that wins that one. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not too thrilled about either of those teams. I think that they both have have had outstanding years at 110 points each. Um Tampa Bay, Steven Stamkos got injured. Not sure if he'll be back for the playoffs. Um Ryan McDonough, I'm not sure he's really fit in as well as they would have liked. They sh- sent out uh Vladimir uh Nemeznikov over to the Rangers. Um, and then the the Metro division, I don't even think that's such a strong division either. I think, again, you're going to have the Penguins versus uh, Capitals in the second round. Uh, if history again repeats itself, which it always does, um, the Penguins will be moving on to the Eastern Conference Final. And I think that in seven games, it'll be a tough series, probably go seven, but I think, feel like the Penguins do have another chance to etch that out. I think the Penguins' only kryptonite will be is if they play the New Jersey Devils um, I, I think that they'll lose that, but you know, I think that the the Penguins, their defense is a flaw, is flawed, but they've got guys with uh, out stellar years. Uh, Malkin's an MVP candidate. Phil Kessel, Crosby are both outstanding. Matt Murray's back. Uh, he hasn't lost the Stanley Cup yet, <laughs> but you know, this year the Stanley Cup's going to the Western Conference. I don't care what you think. It's going to be Nashville, Winnipeg, or the Las Vegas Golden Knights. We cannot overstate, not just us, but anybody nationally here. If you're not aware, this story, is, it's been incredible the whole year. This is, a, this is a new franchise, the expansion team, the Vegas Golden Knights. They begin in Las Vegas, and from the start, they just keep winning and winning and winning. And now they won that Pacific Division, 51 wins, 109 points. How impressive has this team been? No, they've been outstanding, especially considering uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's only played about uh, 45 games. I don't know the exact number, but uh, he has been in- he was injured for a while in the middle of the season. They were on like fourth and fifth string goalies, and they were still winning. Um, but not not really surprised to me. I knew that they'd be a, a top team in the West. Um, I didn't know they'd be at 110 points at the least. Um, they're at 109 right now with two games remaining. Um, but they've just been outstanding. They've I knew they had the depth and the scoring of the youth. And they have the veteran leadership. This team could really go deep. They're gonna they're gonna end up in the um, Western Conference Final. You, you can almost take that to the bank. Um, I don't see that team breaking down. They've got the veteran leadership in Mark Andre Fleury. They've got guys who've won cups. They've got guys that've been to cups. And you know this is not some uh, some Sandlot team that they just threw together. They've got 268 goals. The Vegas Golden Knights do. That is third, if I'm accounting correctly, only behind the Lightning, and the Maple Leafs in the Eastern Conference. So this team, a plus 51 goal. And the Jets. And the Jets as well, so make it it number um, four. But plus 51 goal differential for the Knights. When you look also in the Western Conference, you've got some teams that may have surprised a little and some some teams that are typically there that aren't there. So you look at Winnipeg in the Central, 110 points. But then you look at the bottom of the Central. When's the last time... We've seen the Chicago Blackhawks dead last in a division. They've only got 76 points. They're not going to be in this year. 
Yeah, it's been a while, but when you pay your uh, stars, uh, like Jonathan, uh, or not Jonathan Tavares, uh, Jonathan Taves, John Taves, uh, paying him the money that he did just for the leadership, I mean, you're really handicapping your team. And I think that was uh, something that became an issue. They couldn't keep guys around. Uh, you guys are getting paid too much, weren't producing, and they sent out a couple of big salary guys, but they also had to give up pieces to go with it. Um, so it's time for them to go into a rebuild mode, and they were trying to get some draft picks. Uh, they sent out Ryan Hartman, um, trying to rebuild a little bit. I mean, they've got a solid core there, but they need to shed some cap and open up some opportunities to get some of the youth in their, into their lineup. And then down there in the Pacific, you look towards the bottom. The Edmonton Oilers really want to touch on them real quick. This is a team that has a lot of youth, and this is a team that, that last year took a step forward. What went wrong this season? Yeah, I don't know if it's coaching or what, but, I mean, this is probably the last time you'll see Edmonton Oilers in the next 10, 12 years not making the playoffs. I mean, when you've got a guy like Connor McDavid, who otherwise would most likely be the clear favorite for the MVP, I mean, you can't give the MVP to a team that's only one, only has won 34 games. You can't do that. So, I mean, I don't know. They've got a lot of talent on that team, and I don't know what went wrong, but uh, something catastrophic went wrong, and I imagine there'll be a coaching change or something. Maybe a shake-up in the GM's office. I remember back to the late 2000, 2009, 2010, 2011, it, it appeared that the Vancouver Canucks were always making a run, making a run. And I saw the other day that two of their top players, the Twins, they're not Twins, the brothers, no, they're twins. They are twins. They're twins. Daniel and Henrik Sedin, they're, they're going to be hanging it up after this year. You know, those guys have been in the league for a while. They've really led that Vancouver team, never winning a cup but what would their legacy be as they step away at the end of this season yeah i mean much like uh lemieux uh, to a much lesser extent for the penguins the scenes really carry that franchise for i don't know what it was but i think it was like 2001 they got drafted together they were first and second overall picks i uh, went back to back uh daniel sedin a little bit more of a goal scorer uh leading the franchise in all your goal categories uh henrik sedin leading your point categories your assist categories uh, really, they really rewrote the record books for the Vancouver Canucks. At Vancouver, Edmonton there. We talked about Vegas, San Jose, Anaheim. You mentioned Connor McDavid as, as one of those guys that's obviously in the conversation, if not a favorite, to win the MVP. Who else is in that MVP conversation this year? I mean, you've got, I like McKinnon, especially if they can secure a spot. Taylor Hall, I think, itching away from it, kind of taking the lead. You can't, you can't give it to McDavid. He's not making the playoffs. Um, Malkin, it's hard to give it to Malkin, even though I think he really deserves it, when you got a guy like uh, Kessel and Crosby, because if you didn't have Malkin, your team would still be in the playoffs. So, uh, And then F Flyers fans want Claude Giroux. I mean, you have to do a little bit more than pass the puck uh, to get in the playoffs. Um, so I don't see him as an MVP guy. Um, but I think that your finalist will probably, I think that McDavid will be a finalist, um, it, but I think that it'll be uh, McKinnon and Taylor Hall as the other two finalists, and that Mc or Taylor Hall will get the uh, award. Only a few games left for these teams in the regular season. In the NHL this year, who has been the most disappointing team? You may yeah, have already there, mentioned you may have already a mentioned lot them. of disappointing teams. I mean, Edmonton clearly is disappointing, but I also think teams like... Uh, uh, Montreal. I think that was a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, I think w some people might have expected Ottawa to take a step back. I don't think they people expected them to be second to last in the East. Um, Carolina, I know a lot of people thought this was their year to finally get in, but they looks like they'll just miss it. Um, but there's a lot of disappointment going around. St. Louis Blues trading uh, Yuri Laterra. 
in the, uh, around the trade deadline after losing four or five in a row. And that team now just barely missing the playoffs. You got to wonder if you kept them, if they would have made it. But, you know, you got to get some pieces back and rebuild. Um, I think next year might be the year for the Arizona Coyotes to finally make a leap up. Maybe it's, it's a wild card spot. 69 points for the Coyotes. That is one of the lowest totals. Worse than the Western Conference when you look in the East. Ottawa and Buffalo, the only two teams with lower totals than that. Yeah, but, I mean, if we're going to uh, Stanley Cup favorites, I know we haven't really talked about them at all, but I think that you really got to keep an eye on the runner-up last year, the Nashville Predators. Uh, the first line is going to be Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Craig Smith. Uh, Johansson was injured a little bit. Uh, then now they traded uh, Kyle Tur- They got Brian Kyle Turris. Uh, he's their second-line center. We came into the season thinking it was going to be the Penguins' former third-line center, Nick Benino, on that spot, but he'll drop down to the third line. And then Mike Fisher, who comes back out of retirement, will center the fourth line. They've got a lot of depth. This year they can take an injury or two. Last year they could not. Um, and their defense is still stacked with uh, Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, Matt, Matisse Ekholm, P.K. Subban, Alexei Emelin, and uh, Matt Irwin. And then, of course, Pecorino, likely uh, one of the Vesna candidates. Or, uh, definitely a Vesna candidate, um, but likely also the winner. I think that Fleury has the best, better numbers, but I think he's played too few, game, too few of games because of injuries uh, to lock that up, which is really disappointing because he's had an outstanding year like he has in the past, uh, but he just got injured. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Obviously, we don't want to hype up these starts for the better or for the worse right now, but we should point out Red Sox and Astros are a combined 12-2. and two. Mets and Diamondbacks and Pirates are a combined 14-3. and three. Cubs, Dodgers, a combined 4-8. and eight. We can't look into this too much. We cannot. What we can look into, though, how about Shohei Otani? Out in the West Coast with the Angels. I'm not convinced. Why not? I'm not going to be convinced until he does this on a consistent level. There's still like 150 games left, to be fair. Right. But first of all, what he did was extreme. It it was phenomenal. But when you are touting somebody as the Babe Ruth, he he better do something that that I'm really never going to see. He's doing it. He's doing it. I want to see him keep doing it. I want to see after four, maybe five starts from him, if he has four wins under his belt and a decent job at the plate, I'm not expecting him to hit 330, but even if he hits 250 at the plate, that's that's more than enough. Like, that'll be impressive for me. He, he's impressed me. He proved to me that he's a good baseball player and he was worth some hype, but I don't think I'm at that Babe Ruth level I gave yet. Jake a nice little quote. Um, if you know, shoot for the stars. If you fall, you're still, you know, amongst the clouds and... You could put that on a pillow. Did you make that up? I didn't make that up. It was no, you never heard actual quote. But that's the thing. His ceiling is so high, and, and his projection and all that Babe Ruth talk. I mean, if this guy pans out to be, you know, even a third or a half of that, he's still a good baseball player, and I think the Angels could use a good baseball player. You really just have Mike Trout. You know, a couple of older veteran guys oh, as well. Oh, come on there. now. They've got they, a better roster than that. This, they, this Angels team might be good. Well, now Slandering with Sh- Albert Pujols what, will not be accepted. Okay, but yeah, now with Shotani, like, are they still like a playoff team? Maybe. Now, are they st- meaning, that, I mean, they're they getting, meaning that they're getting worse? No, no, I'm saying, but without the addition of Shotani, I think they're just a, what, a mediocre team? Okay, come right? on. Are Give, they a playoff team? Look at what they have. They have... Zach Kozart, okay. Ian Kinsler, okay. Mike Trout, Albert, yes. Albert Pujols, Short, Justin Upton. They got some older guys, but but this team has has some hitters. I would this team to me, 
at the, they need to be contending for a wild card spot, or sure. else, or else it's a disappointment. I mean, I don't, sure. I don't think I don't think they'll get the wild card spot. I think that they, they need to contend, right? Though. But they'll definitely right. contend. They need to contend. We'll, we'll hear their name towards the end of the season. I don't think they'll make it run. But with Mike Trout on the team, with Albert Pujols, and even with like Ian Kinsler, like anything's possible for a yeah. team like that. It just so. feels like they might have too many older names. You know, the Ian Kinsler. That that's like the the Rangers of 2012. Yeah. Wasn't he on the Tigers as well? Yeah, he's approaching he was, that, yeah. like, Evan Longoria age. I mean, Longoria's st- staying put, and he's still, I think, producing a little better. But he's at that age where, like, they're, they've hit their peak. Now they're seeing if they can keep it at their peak, not necessarily how, how much better they can get. Oh, Evan Longoria's been terrible. In yeah. San Francisco. Five for 19. Uh, no, excuse me. One for 19. He's played in five games. When, when he was in the hot corner of the, uh, the um, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, that that was when the, the, his Ian Kinsler years yeah. are where he's at right now. You know, speaking of the San Francisco Giants, this this team always really fascinates Interesting me. Interesting offseason. Yeah, you I mean you bring in McCutcheon, you, you you got the same old guys, Pablo Sandoval. He's like 80 years old. He's back on this team. Posey, obviously, we know he's a star. Brandon Crawford, Hunter Pence, Brandon Belt. These guys have been around for a while, but Madison Bumgarner's out, and it feels like that just sucks the energy out of this team and in the division with the Dodgers this team is obviously not a favorite do you think this team could be better this year they can't be worse than they were last year oh well, yeah last year was abysmal but this year their division I think is I think that that's the hardest division to come out of and I think because I think that's the only division where four teams can make a playoff spot including the Giants that's not even well. pos- that's not possible uh, no like four teams oh, like, oh yeah, they, yeah. they have the ability to make the playoff spot um, the pot, you like the pot, no, you, you don't like the pot no team. that's okay. the one team that I don't think can uh, make a run but they they need to be better and I think McCutcheon makes you better but I think losing your uh, your iron arm in Madison Bumgardner hurts you more than gaining McCutcheon does so I think this team will be better but I don't think they'll be good enough I was ready for a rebuild, but I think they wanted to kind of win now and get some big names in there. I don't know how well that'll work, but yeah, when they, st- I think nobody wants to start with the rebuild. I think that would have been the best case scenario for them, though. Well, speaking of the rebuild, I mean, that, that's a good transition into some of the stuff we're t- I wanted to talk about today. You look around baseball, don't really look at the records right now, but there are some teams that are clearly in the rebuild, and there are some teams that are clearly in win now. You don't have a lot of teams that, there's uncertainty with you look at a team like the Phillies that team is in the rebuild but they're they're getting finished with the rebuild you look at a team like the White Sox that team is smack in the middle of the rebuild you look at the Pirates they're four and one to start the year don't take too much into that that team is in the beginning of a rebuild they just traded McCutcheon but again you look in the National League and the teams that people are serious about down the stretch the Dodgers in the West maybe the Diamondbacks the Rockies People like the Cubs, and then in the East, if the Mets pitching is there, they'll be in the conversation, obviously, Nationals. So it's the same teams, but we see it in the AL, too, the, the idea of tankers almost spreading into baseball a little bit now. One of the analysts put out the this little like art thing that I'm showing you. It's you lost me at the chart. It's <laughs> teams that are with their window open, which means that they are ready to buy. They're ready to their windows open, fill it with whoever you want. And then the teams that should contend and can't contend. So the teams with like big open windows and should contend are like the Yankees. The Yankees have a lot of money in their upcoming years and they're contenders. The Nationals, they should definitely contend, but they don't really have too much money to burn right now. So they're in that like above range where they should contend, but their window is really not that open because they don't have that much opportunity. 
So that's how it's kind of spread out here. And I, right when you thought about that, I thought of this article of this kind of graph chart, which I thought was really well done because you have the teams that are open and ready to shop, but the teams, like you mentioned, that are just, they have no shot, i.e. the, the Tigers, the Mar- the Marlins, um, the Royals even, and the, the Baltimore Orioles. These are teams that are dead set on rebuilding and getting back into it. I think that flip that back around again. That That's a really interesting graphic. You look down in the bottom right of this, meaning maximum should contend, maximum window open, Cubs, Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, which obviously everybody expects them to be there. Who's in the top left? Which means window shut and should not contend. Does this mean, Who's, does this mean Detroit, the Royals have no shot? <laughs> well, Detroit, the Royals, uh, Baltimore, and Miami. You know, people really not giving the O's a shot at all. I, I agree. I think it's surprising because, you know, this is funny. When you think about local talk radio, I was driving through Baltimore last week, and they're talking about how the O's have the chance to, to go to the wild card. I'm like, no, they don't. The Orioles are not good. But that's a great graphic. It's so, how, how can people find that? This on, one is on SB Nation. Uh, you can literally just Google Win Now Teams 2018, and you'll get the article. You can read it all. It has every team, and it's their position uh, on where it would fall, and I think it's really good to, like, space teams out. Also teams that you don't expect. Like, when you look at it, you have teams like the the Rockies and the Indians who are, like, right in the middle of it because they can go whichever they want to go with their team. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Paul Warrillow, Delaware graduate of 2013, has signed with the Eagles, and he comes back here. You think you like that addition? A little depth. Add a little depth to the linebacker position. Um, he had a couple good years with the Atlanta Falcons, so I'm not ready to you know be like, oh yeah, Super Bowl definitely guaranteed. I know they started to make moves. They also added Richard Rodgers from that um, that hail mary play that Rodger, Aaron Rodgers had. But yeah, I like that move. Always good to see a fellow Blue Hen uh, make it into the league and at, into the home team as He's well. Already, He's already been in the league. Oh, I mean to the you know you mean to the Eagles to the Eagles yeah oh, okay which is like the home team. Well, yeah, yeah, for him. Is yeah. he is he from around here? Yes, he, he went to Concord High School, I believe, which is in Wilmington, Delaware. So that is a homecoming for him. Absolutely, coming yeah. back. He mm-hmm. was in he was in Atlanta, then he went to Detroit, or maybe it was the other way around. But Something he, like that. But he yeah. was in. He's a good special teams player, Paul Warlow, yeah. Delaware class of 2013. You think about him, the other players from Delaware in uh, the NFL. Obviously, Joe Flacco is the most notable one, but you know, kind of on the decline. We'll talk later on in the show about what RG3's arrival to Baltimore could mean for that team, or et cetera, all of that. But anyways, should note, Paul Warrillow to the Eagles on the one-year deal. While we're on the conversation of Delaware and Blue Hens and all of that fun stuff, Matt Barreto, a 6'7 power forward from East Catholic High School in Connecticut, has reportedly committed to the Delaware men's basketball team. This guy's will provide some depth you would think with a little bit of power in the paint, hopefully strong defense, especially with the loss of Ryan Daly, who we'll talk about in a second. But Inglesby clearly not discouraged. He has to get out there and, and try to attract the kind of talent that, that there is. Hey, a 6'7 power forward is kind of what this team needs. You have your small shooters, now just Ryan Allen and Kevin Anderson, and now and you kind of miss that wing, maybe that's a good Jacob Cushing compliment. We want to see more of Cushing. We saw it kind of at the end. I know Ahmed uh, and I talked about it a little bit. Uh, And then compare him, bring him with Eric Carter. That's a nice five. So hopefully he can come into shape. And not not to like over talk about Jacob Cushing here, but I think he's a true number three. I think he's kind of a a, a true wing guy. And I think he'll be able to play that. Obviously, if you're playing small, he can play the four. But I think this will allow, and especially with um, 
the uh, eligibility now fully kicking in for the seven footer from George, not Georgetown, from George Washington. Um, Colin so, Goss. Colin Goss. So now with the availability of him, I think this team obviously it's going to be hard to replace Ryan Daly, but it's not the end of the world. Well, Colin Goss, we haven't, we didn't talk about him at all because we had no reason to. He wasn't playing, but he will be in yeah. this coming season. And and he'll have, I believe, two years of eligibility, 6'11", 225. You know, he played at George Washington from Manassas, Virginia. But this is a guy who is not going to bring you a lot offensively, but you got to figure that he's going to provide something on the boards at the very least, and you hope defensively here. Is it, I think his main role is going to be giving Eric Carter a break. Yeah. I think for the first five, six games, seven games of the season, his main role is going to be give Eric Carter a break, and with X amount of minutes he's provided when well Carter rests, show that he should deserve more minutes. Yeah, I mean, two two years, he's definitely got time to really add to his resume. He's only 225, so I'd like to see him maybe put on some pounds in the offseason so he can kind of... Body some people. Yeah, bang down Devante low with the big boys. Body. Yeah, but you said it, it, it. It's still Carter's team. We can talk about all these power forwards and smalls we want, but Carter's still going to have bulk of the minutes. I don't think he'll play those 38, 39 minutes per game, but um, Carter is still the guy to go to. And um, obviously, I don't know... Derek Woods, we're kind of past that now, but it made our team thinner to say. But yeah, uh, Carter's still gonna have this team. Uh, I don't know how Goss and the other six foot seven guy. It's kind of weird as far as you look at the height concern. Will play and uh, will factor into play. But yeah, it's Eric Carter's not going anywhere. That's one thing. Yeah, Derek Woods mentioned him. He he got kicked off the team. He he's yeah. gone. Not not a lot of news there, but but he was finished. So you look at the Delaware men's basketball roster right now. And you see that Kevin, you see Kevin Anderson, Ryan Allen in the backcourt. Now you look in the front court. You're gonna have Carter. You'll have Goss, Jacob Cushing, obviously. Darian Bryant will provide a little bit. Kyrie Walker. You hope he develops, and then whatever freshmen come in. Now Ryan Daly announced he transferred. He was he was transferring March 23rd, I believe, just before spring break here, and he's receiving a lot of interest. You just look at some of the schools, just to name some: North Carolina State, Nevada, a March Madness team. St. Joe's, Temple, St. Bonaventure, UMass, Charlotte, Ole Miss, and San Diego. Amid, you were telling us the other day, you'd be surprised if he doesn't go back to Philadelphia and maybe with the school like Temple. Absolutely. I mean, I just see him staying at home, not really trying to do any detective work here, but it's it's been clear that he's gotten a lot of love, a lot of interest, and um, a lot of really airtime from some of these Philadelphia schools or Pennsylvania region schools. So... I would be surprised if he went anywhere else. But again, uh, this is a guy who may be looking to kind of upgrade the competition here. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to maybe out west. I don't I don't really know. Anything can really happen here. But um, I guess if I was to be his manager, uh, there's no place like home. I mean, this might sound a bit negative, but looking at some of the teams here in Nevada, Ryan Daly is a great basketball player. Do not get me wrong here, but... Nevada, 16 points a game for him, though. Okay, against competition, that might not be what he'll get at Nevada. I'm just saying, Nevada's preseason rank for next season is 11. Nevada's supposed to be the 11th best college basketball team in the nation. Again, those are preseason rankings. They're way too early preseason rankings, but nonetheless, they're rankings. So putting them at 11th. Ryan Daly is a great basketball player. Nevada, Ole Miss, those are some good basketball programs that I would be 
both surprised and extremely excited to see Ryan Daly go there because we've seen him play to a great level. But those are some tough schools for a player like Daly to try to find some space in. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because you think back to when Ryan Daly started playing in his freshman year. All of a sudden, he started getting going and going, and I, I never fully bought in. I don't know if it was an it factor or what. It, he can knock down shots. Let's give him a lot of credit. He can fight in the paint. He can get the boards. He's aggressive. But you take him outside of a weaker league like the CAA, and you put him in some of these other leagues, will he be able to get those rebounds? Will he be able to stand beyond the three-point line and knock it up? Because Ryan Daly, a guy who... You know, he's not taking the most wild shots ever. He's not crossing guys over. In those leagues, you've got to have more skill. And I feel like a lot of his success, not to discount it, but just to state it, a lot of his success has come from his effort more than skill. And at that level, you've got to have a little bit of both. I just question if the skill level is there to still be this productive or even close to this level of productive at a more competitive school. And I'll just add to that. We've seen the games, and especially late in the season, the two games that they played against Towson, we, we see Ryan Daly going up against Alex Woods. You see him going up against, like, Eddie Keith. Those players are much bigger than he is, and Daly plays them well and plays them hard. You go to the Nevadas, the St. Bonaventures, no matter who you're up against, you're going to get a Devontae Kaycock-type body. You're going to get those big, fighting players that Ryan Daly will not be able to contain. That was one of his biggest strengths. He can go anywhere on the court and be a defender there. He can go anywhere on the court and score on whoever he's going to be. Again, and I think, Teddy, you said it best, not to discount any success he had. Ryan Daly's a great basketball player, and he was, I think for every time he stepped on the basketball court, he was the best player on the court. On the, But I just don't see as, how much success he can come out. I think that's why you said Temple, great choice. St. Joe's, even UMass, NC State, Great schools for him to go to. Not necessarily elite, but like you said, Ahmed, upgrade the, the competition level a little bit. I think Kevin Anderson, obviously, now you look forward. He's got a big role to play now. And that's why this Ryan Daly, leave, uh, him leaving isn't the end of the world. Because now you got a full year of Kevin Anderson. And I think that'll do this team just well. I think they'll be right back in it uh, to maybe make a run, hopefully, at the CAA championship game. But now we have like a LeBron type situation where is he taking his talents to and I guess it's a waiting game but although he's done now I know everybody's just as interested 